1: Welcome to the Hockey PDOcast. My name is Dmitri Filipovich, and uh joining me is my is my good buddy Bill West. Bill, what's going on, man?
0: I'm doing all right. I'm uh, recovering from the uh, West Coast swing and uh you know, having a day off. It's always always nice after a pleasant but certainly um, you know, long long uh, trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm um... I mean, as you just mentioned, yeah, you're your finger all over the, uh, the Penguins pulse as the team's beat writer for the Pittsburgh Tribune review. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to have you on because, uh, obviously, you know, the Penguins have all these stars and they won the cup last year. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of angles we could take in kind of just discussing them. And, and the, the first one that I thought would be interesting was Sidney Crosby because, uh, as I was tweeting this weekend, I feel like, you know, with with all this whole youth movement in the NHL with players like McDavid and Matthews and Line a coming along, um, obviously they've made the league so much more fun to watch and follow as a fan. But you have one, one of these kind of weird minor subplots where uh, people are just really wanting to m- anoint Connor McDavid as the best player in the world just because it's sort of like the shiny new toy syndrome. Like he's just uh, the new guy and, and he's so amazing to watch and, and you just want it to be the case already. But I was kind of making the point that Uh, regardless of all that, I I still think that Crosby's the best. And I don't even know if that's a, is is that like a controversial statement to make at this point, or is it just something we all agree upon?
0: No, I I don't think there's any controversy. (laughs) You know, my, my big frustration, and and this happened last year a little bit, at least from my vantage point, when you you get into Dowie versus Carl Carlson, or even Shea Weber and and, um, PK Subban, we're always trying to define the absolute best Mm -hmm. and and pinpoint you know, superiority as if it's something that can be, uh, you know, quantified and really, you know, nailed down. And you know, this guy is without question, superior in every way. That's really hard to do. And I think with Crosby, um, you know, if you want to compare Crosby and McDavid, who of course they'll be going against each other on, on Tuesday. Um, I sure I know when people are listening to, this, to within the next 24 hours, yes. uh, of this recording, um, it's just the difference of, of styles right now you know crosby is playing such a complete game uh, and, and that's really something I think has come along in the past um you know season season and a half I'll say the the defensive side of, of the game for him partially because they they need him to do that right now and they trust him to uh, you know play both ends of the ice at such a high level it's just really uh, amazing and, and mcdavid might very well get there but I think right now mcdavid you're just seeing a, a a really talented, you know, athletic young guy that is making highlight real plays. So they can both be the best in kind of different, unique ways. Um, I don't have any qualms with people saying that, but you know, I, I tend to, yeah, get a little tired of the McDavid is the best because he's clearly, I don't know, more, uh, you know just exciting right now well uh,
1: it 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 yeah that's a good point i mean it's just so different the way they approach it is is so different i mean you, you could kind of sit someone down that's never really watched hockey before and have them watch an Edmonton Oilers game and then right away they would just notice that Connor McDavid is just faster and more skilled than everyone else nice so it just sort of like beats you across the head just like realizing just how like the otherworldly talent this guy possesses but with Crosby especially at this stage of his career it's it's more sort of methodical and subtle and I feel like for hockey nerds like you when you watch him kind of striding through the neutral zone and someone and like his defenseman throws an outlet pass and it's kind of off but he just you know casually gets it from it from his skates to his stick without really breaking his stride or or some of the stuff he does like the other night in, in California when he was lost his stick and he was just kind of casually cycling the puck. In the in the offensive zone uh, and getting it to a teammate, you know, while fighting defenders off and making it look so effortless. So I think it's it's sometimes easy to lose sight of that, just because I always make this point with Henrik Lundqvist, for example. He makes it look he's so good, and it's been going on for so long, and he makes it look so easy that you kind of just naturally become a little numb to it, and you just sort of expect that greatness as opposed to appreciating it every time he does something crazy.
0: Yeah absolutely and and like you said it's you know when he was cycling the puck and and just using his feet like that is cool that is noticeable i think people say that but yeah with with crosby there are just so many things that he does so well um but they're subtle and and they're really just not sexy even the way crosby plays overall um you know certainly when he's at his best and, and playing the style of the game he prefers it's still kind of a a, a grindy game you know he likes to go to the net he likes to to use that body and, and possess the puck and you know, he plays a very fast game and um you know likes to go north south which is exciting but yeah i i was thinking about this on the uh, the flight back from there because you know for years in, in pittsburgh there's always been the debate about you know who's better malkin or crosby and yeah. as i just said i i'm not a big fan of the who's best in an absolute term right. um you know i feel with malkin it's kind of like the McDavid thing. I think Malkin is a better shooter, and he's always had higher potential or likelihood to give you that like just incredible highlight. You mm-hmm. know, last year, I think the best goal I saw was, um, you know, purely from like a excitement and uh, talent standpoint, was um, you know Malkin did a kind of you know backhanded spin spinaroo against uh, the the Oilers. Now, if I recall correctly. Yeah you know, and just, it was just a a sick goal. I mean, it's, you know, if you take away significance and timing and things like that in terms of when it happened in the season, it was just an awesome highlight. So, you know, again, I I think the Sid play like that usually, no, I think he can, he's he's plenty capable, but he just doesn't, um, doesn't usually take that route. You know, he, he makes kind of the, the more simple and, uh, you know, I guess you could argue effective play a lot of times, but there there are still so many crazy things. Um, like I said, they're just they're smaller. Whether it's handling the puck with his feet a lot, uh, and and certainly he does do that. Um, you know, the other night against uh, what was it, was the it? Anaheim game, I think. So, you know, he he throws. He kind of get the loose puck down low. Spins backwards without really checking to see who's what's going on back there. And he throws a a bounce pass off the wall behind a defenseman, right on Letang's stick for a one timer. And as Latang's taking this one timer, Crosby circles back, goes to the net, gets a rebound scores. Like it's just it's it's a chess game for him. And yeah, there are just so many other guys that are kind of playing checkers out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've always thought that you know on any given night Malkin's kind of upside or what he's capable of might be a little bit higher just because he he is such he's such a freak like there's no one else that can really do some of the stuff that he can at that size of that skill level but just like over the 82 game season chances are that you know more more nights Crosby's going to bring it and I don't know like the thing that's fascinating for me with Crosby is I remember there was that one season where he scored 50 goals and it was just like became kind of clear that he he had decided I don't know if it was he set personal goals for himself or what but he was just is going to shoot more and score more and uh, so far this year i mean obviously he's not going to keep scoring on nearly 40 percent of the shots he takes but it has kind of been a little bit obvious that he's been shooting more and, and it's and the goal scoring has been uh more of his contribution than it has in the past do you think that's something that's going to sort of continue or do you think it just kind of like a six game fluctuation and it'll kind of even out and he'll get back to being more of a playmaker instead
0: it's certainly an intriguing point to me. That's that's what I wrote about uh, in today's paper. That Yeah, his shot rates, whether it's attempts or shots on goal, scoring chances, all that stuff is at career highs. And like you said, it's six games for him. So, you know, it's it's very uh, vulnerable to uh, fluctuation and, you know, could easily regress over the next six games. But if this is something that stabilizes or, um, you know, comes close to, to what it's been lately, yeah, you're going to see Sid score a lot. And, and um, you know, the Penguins aren't going to complain. Uh, especially the other part of the story is Malkin and Phil Kessel, uh, who have had, you know twelve games each, so a slightly more meaningful sample size, I mm-hmm. guess, aren't shooting much at even strength. Um, you know they're both kind of at uh, career lows, or at least since they've gone back to you know tracking shot attempts in two thousand and seven. So the the Penguins kind of need shooters right now, or certainly high end um, you know talent shooters because it's fine if Matt Cullen is creating more offense than, you know, anyone expected, but you still don't really think Matt Cullen's going to become a, you know, a 25 goal scorer anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, they might need Sid to, to do it. And uh, again, Sid just can do anything. You know, when you, you talk to teammates, when you talk to opponents, that's always the point they make. And that's really why I guess the, if we're going to talk about best and, and things like that with Sid, it's just, completeness Sid can play any style um you know at an elite level and if that means he has to be a goal scorer for some period of time and and you know really take a lot of shots I think he's 100% cool with that
1: yeah I mean Crosby's reached that you know really rarefied era of, of pro athlete where if there's ever been a summer where people have kind of nit, been nitpicking something about his game, I remember early in his career, it might have been after his rookie season when people were like, Oh, he, he, you know, he can't win face-offs. He's struggling so much at the circle. And then he just like goes into, a, into his lab or whatever in the summer and just reprograms himself and comes back just being really, really good and making a point of being awesome at that one thing people were nitpicking. So I think that you know, I just can't, if, if I was some, if you were asking me like, what does Crosby not do well? Like, I honestly, couldn't even give you an answer. I, think, I feel like he does everything better than like ninety five percent of the league.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, I, I can predict what people would have an issue with is Sidney Crosby isn't enough of a goon. Like, I'm sure there are people out there like, well, you know, he doesn't agitate enough, he doesn't fight enough, he doesn't hit enough. You know, it's like uh, the the stuff you don't really want your star doing anyway. But I'm sure there are people out there like, well, yeah, but you look, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a you know the more irritating you know, Brad Marchand, he's irritating, mm-hmm. so. Should be more like that. So yes, uh, it's it, it. It would truly have to get absurd at this point, though. Yes, to to find something that Sidney Crosby doesn't do and do well.
1: Alright, enough about Crosby. Ten, I feel like ten minutes worth of us saying that, uh, a, a really good player is really good is, uh, not the type of analysis <laughs> that people came on this podcast for. So let's move on. Uh, the, Metro Metro Division's looking like it's going to be, uh, an absolute slugfest up at the top. I mean, we, the Penguins are obviously going to be really good, but then the Capitals, last year's Metro Division champ are, are looking as good as ever and, and, and the Surging Rangers. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, uh, team building philosophy here because I can't help mm-hmm. but notice the, the parallels between the Penguins and the Rangers where uh it's obviously the rangers don't have guys like crosby and malkin so they're starting a bit behind the curve but they're both teams that can roll four lines without much drop off they play incredibly fast and they kind of keep their opponents on their heels constantly and have great goaltending and it makes up for what some might view as suspect blue lines um i don't know like have have you noticed those parallels and 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 I guess people always discuss it being a copycat league. And I just wonder if, you know, last year the Rangers were, were kind of embarrassed in the first round by the, by the Penguins skating laps around him. And I wonder if they went back this summer and they were like, how can we make sure that never happens again?
0: Yeah, I I absolutely think, um, yeah, I don't know if the Penguins deserve credit for it. They're, they're the easy one to point to because they won the cup and they did follow that approach, but you know, Tampa Bays had really solid forward depth for a while now. They also have, you know, some fantastic defensemen and good goalies. So, uh, you know, it's easier to maybe overlook that because they have so many complimentary pieces, um, And, and, you know, Florida, I think, is kind of following a a similar blueprint. I know you had written about that in terms of just putting together the best forward corps you can, as opposed to always trying to, you know, find at least three guys that are out there to be agitators or, you know, defensive specialists, PK guys, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I think what New York did, I I was really um, encouraged isn't the right word, but I I just approved of the, the moves that the Rangers made during the offseason, you know, to improve the, the speed up front. And um, it, like you said, when when you have kind of an iffy defensive corps, if you bring in guys that can play good two-way hockey a, as forwards and, and you know, forecheck well, backcheck, do all that stuff, it does lighten the load on your defensemen. Um, you know, it, I, the, the defensemen in Pittsburgh talked a lot last year, and they still say this year, about their jobs – um, are pretty easy. They have to to play a pretty simple game. They're they're really just going to go back, get pucks that are dumped in because the back check and forecheck from the forward is so good that they don't leave op- or teams many other options. So you you retrieve the puck and then you move it back up to the forward as quickly as you can, and and that's it. It's about maintaining pretty good gaps and um, you know really just being good with your your first pass. But you know there, it's not a. Uh, uh, a particularly demanding role. So the, the Rangers, and it's a question of whether um, you know they have enough talent. Like I said, they they don't have quite the stars that the Penguins do, but mm. that might not be necessary if you just play good team hockey and, and abide by the system. Uh, you can go pretty far.
1: Right. I mean, it, it's all about just kind of squeezing the value and optimizing your lineup. I mean, the, the one thing Penguins have done really, really well is, aside from the stars, that you know they have regular contributors all across their lineup and they haven't really conformed to those regular hockey conventions as you mentioned of sort of your bottom 6 looking like bottom 6 types i mean they they have guys like Sheary and Wilson and Rust who are all uh, regular contributors in that bottom six that are you know below six feet tall and and weren't really uh hot commodities coming into the draft or anything i mean some of them were undrafted free agents some of them were like sixth or seventh rounders and and they're just kind of stepped in and, and provide enough skill and do enough things where you're not kind of throwing away shifts by just sending guys out on the boards to go and just throw a body check and then hope that it, you know they're not getting scored on like it's it, it really kind of put puts pressure on the opposition knowing that they're never going to have these these shifts where they can rest up and i think that's where teams like the penguins and and the sharks and and the rangers and the lightning are are really kind of ahead of the curve just that they don't have any noticeable drop off all across the lineup
0: certainly the the talents out there at this point um you have know, spoken to I, I tried to write a little bit about that at the beginning of the season uh there's i don't think a good reason to go out and and get the, the guys that play with jam, um, yes. unless that's what you really want. Because the, as you just said there, the Connor Sheary was a, you know, undrafted college free agent. there, he was, he was available to anyone, but he was small. And, uh, you know, he, he played well when he was at, um, uh, UMass, you know, UMass Lowell or no not Lowell, whatever the main ca- Amherst, there you go, main campus. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's there's there's guys like that. I, I think Alex uh, DeBrincat this year, right? Isn't he one of those guys that was kind of knocked for similar things? Yeah. and people passed on him, even though the projections like him. I, I think there's just uh, there's going to be players that, um, you know, teams for one reason or another still don't trust quite enough. I, I think in Toronto, like Mitch Marner, isn't that a knock against him? He's not big enough. Uh, and as we're seeing, it's a league right now that, doesn't really give a damn if you're particularly big as long as you can skate and you know still kind of figure out how to to win puck battles then you're probably going to be pretty effective
1: yeah i mean obviously the the positional demands used to be different as you mentioned and also i feel like there was just you know the the whole supply and demand thing i think that there wasn't enough skill, so teams had to resort to filling out their lineup and trying to make do but now there there's so many guys just kind of toiling away whether it's in europe or the ahl that probably could step into most lineups and and produce you know at at normal fourth line levels and they're just never getting the chance because you know they're small or they don't fight or, or they don't do stuff like that so i'm glad that the penguins are are kind of bucking the bucking the trend there um I wanted to pick your brain about something. I'm writing about the Rangers in longer form this week and the thing that I've noticed with them is, is their ability to generate scoring chances has been kind of significantly outpacing their ability to generate regular shot attempts this year and I mm-hmm. wondered if some of that is early season fluctuations or if some of that is sort of their style of play making it more conducive to that and I think that there's a lot of stylistic similarities between them and the Penguins right now. So I went and looked back and, and both last year and early this season, the Penguins have sort of followed the same blueprint there where they've been a good puck possession team, but their shot, uh, their scoring chance differentials have been significantly more impressive. So I don't know. Do you think that is sort of a, a stylistic thing that's going to lend itself to that where they're playing so fast and they're putting so much pressure on the opposition that they are creating uh, more scoring chances than your typical team?
0: This is a, this is a well-timed question because uh, yeah, two nights ago after the um, uh, San Jose game, I I asked Mike Sullivan about that. I said, Listen, you know, you're you guys are winning um, you know, these games, but you're you're not out shooting your opponent. You're not even really matching the shot totals they had last year. That's kind of been uh, uh, not a concern, but something that's popped up early this season for the Penguins is uh, their shot production is slightly lower. And he he didn't quite rip me but he made it very clear that scoring <laughs> chances matter way more to the team than than shots and they often both Sullivan and his players point out that the shot clock can be misleading and that what they care about more are scoring chances so yeah the the Penguins you know I can't speak for what the Rangers um you know feel internally but I would guess it's probably similar attitude that uh you know getting those especially grade a or high grade whatever the the preferred um you know lingo is that's that's the the priority um you know, they they know that there are teams out there like the kings for example that you know regularly rank among the the best shot metric teams but aren't necessarily um you know wired the same way in terms of getting good looks at the net and getting the slot things like that so yeah maybe that's i guess the the next big uh divide if you want to call it that in, in hockey now that everyone knows that possession is important is mm-hmm. Trying to define, um, you know, really what, what proxy for possession or what proxy for effective offense is better—scoring chance versus shot attempts. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you that I think both the Rangers and the Penguins fall on the side of scoring chances is way better.
1: Yeah, I'm a little torn because, like. <laughs> I understand that you know not every shot is the same, but I mean you watch some of these games and and guys are scoring from such weird angles when you least expect it, and you know the puck's bouncing all over the place, and and goalies are 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 so good these days that chances are if they can if they can see the shot they're gonna probably stop it. So like that's why we preach puck possession so much because generally if you keep shooting the puck on net eventually good things will happen. But it'd be foolish to say that you know every shot is the is, is the same and every team is gonna you know convert the same number of opportunities because if you have a A far more skilled team like the penguins do where you're rolling four lines that can all score but you also have the upper echelon uh finishers in the league chances are you're probably going to be shooting a higher percentage than uh than the la kings will with with guys like dustin brown uh taking most of those shots so i think that there is going to be a little bit of a divide and a little bit of an argument there but i I think it's going to be something worth monitoring as the season goes along
0: yeah you know sullivan when he gave me the answer and and again what he, he didn't come out and say it explicitly but the implication was our shot quality is way better this way and again, that is is still one of the um hot topics and probably will always be a hot topic among uh, hockey analytics fans because it, it just we we don't have a way of um you know effectively measuring or, or determining what that means you know is uh, we I know just because of some of the work Ryan's you know Stimson and those guys have done, we have a slightly better idea as far as passes across the royal road and passes from behind a net, and these lead to to better opportunities. so um you know we're getting closer to figuring out what it really means to have a a good chance or a quote unquote good shot, but uh yeah, you know maybe just still I don't know, do you think five years away from from having uh you know concrete mathematical proof if that will ever exist of, you know, what is uh, the, the proper way to shoot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, uh, we're still a ways away. I'd like to think that we're, we're, we're making a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, wh- I wanted to ask you, wh- what's it been like covering Mike Sullivan? Because one of my favorite recurring things on Twitter has been uh, you putting out these long for long form quotes from him, just for us to digest like the other day when he was discussing how defensemen can contribute offensively without necessarily showing up in the box score
0: i i i do enjoy it um it's become one of the the best parts of the job as long as you you eventually accept the fact that mike sullivan doesn't really like dealing with the media still um yeah that that might be easy to to misinterpret you know fans look at that and think oh you know he must be great to cover and he's great if you enjoy um you know again, what i just call the the wonk part of hockey you know if you are someone like I assume both of us are, uh, that likes to get into the details and really just the, uh, the process of the game and trying to, you know, just understand the subtleties and and all the little things that, you know, make, um, a player great or a team great or, you know, systems great, uh, then he's your man. So it's, it's not always necessarily witty stuff. Some of it I'm sure is boring or dry to uh, people that just want to hear, you know, Sidney Crosby can do anything. Um, but yeah, it's it's been really refreshing to the the lengths he'll go to to again explain how a defenseman activating without you know doesn't even have to touch the puck on a rush can be a difference maker for the, the team offense simply because now you're attacking with four men instead of of three. Uh, or you know he's spoken about possession several times, or uh, again the shot metrics versus possession, or just how to uh, you know how to play defense through possession, and um, it's all just really. Just different, Um, you know. I I I can't speak to listening to every other hockey coach in the league, but I've certainly heard a a, you know good, I don't know, dozen or two of them at this point. And there just aren't many guys like that. There are even if they believe it behind the scenes, they don't say it publicly. They would rather just kind of stick to the usual cliches that you hear in hockey. So. Um, you know, hopefully more coaches like Mike Sullivan are, are coming. I, I know a lot more think it behind the scenes. You know, I, the the conference stuff that I've looked at, there are college coaches out there that pay attention and, and think this way. So, it's uh, it's encouraging for the future in terms of people who speak about the sport in a really intelligent way.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's been cool seeing his emergence as sort of a top-flight coach in this league because it felt like he'd been around forever as as Torrella's right-hand man and uh, you just naturally assume that, you know, them working together, you'd think that Salabhan himself would have a similar mindset or approach to the game, but then now you look at it in the big picture and he's only 48 and... That's younger than guys like Bill Peters and, and, and Dave Haxtall is the same age. And, but they, they just forever, whatever reason we think of those guys as being sort of like, you know, the young new head coaches, just because they haven't been around in, in our public eye for as long. But, uh, you know, Sullivan is, is, is one of the best young coaches in the league right now. And he's become a legitimate asset for both the Penguins. But I think also us as hockey fans who just crave, uh, hearing actual sort of thought provoking things as opposed to just those, those hockey cliches, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Tortorella like that. That's what makes me wonder is because they did work together so long. You know, Tortorella doesn't say this stuff publicly, but does he think it behind the scenes? Does he really, uh, you know, kind of understand the game that way? The, the way he encourages his team to play, I'm not so sure. Columbus is seemingly getting their act together a little bit this year, but uh, I—it's just again—that's kind of the big curiosity for me because you'd have to think if Sullivan and Tortorella worked together that long, they have to have sh- some shared Philosophies on how to play, right, like they can't truly be uh you know just like water and oil when it comes to stylistic hockey, yet they work together for more than a decade,
1: yeah the, the entire time Mike Sullivan was just like oh god i hate I
0: hate being here, I disagree with everything this man is saying yeah that that just seems like personal hell, and I just you know Sullivan again, he's a guy that I think likes the the you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing he's he's big on adversity and learning from it but that just seems like a cruel thing to do to yourself in terms of your career pat Mm -hmm. yeah
1: um, okay, there's one final thing I want to talk to you about before uh before I let you go. And uh up, at least up until now, the the reason why I felt better about Pittsburgh's chances to repeat or at least not fall off after their cup season than I than I typically do uh the year after a team wins the cup is it's just because of their rare ability to really just bring the entire band back together. I mean, you typically see teams they make long playoff runs. They've either had a lot of you know, rentals where they went all in at the trade deadline and they lose all those guys or, or they just lose players because of the number game because of the, the disease of more. You just can't make the money work, and you eventually need to siphon off talent, like we've seen in a in Chicago. But the Penguins, for whatever reason, haven't really necessarily needed to combat yet th- that yet, except for uh, this looming thing on the horizon between uh, Mark Andre Flurry and Matt Murray, where it's pretty clear that you know Murray is going to be the guy. They just gave him that extension, and and Flurry is looking like a pretty obvious uh, a- a expansion candidate. Um, well, how do you see this? sort of playing out in the net this season because there was a lot of talk that Flurry might be traded this summer but then Rutherford came out and, and and said that you know they don't necessarily feel very confident with giving Murray uh, all of the starts right away at this point of his career and also uh, it, it is going to be a condensed schedule because of the World
0: Cup so they kind of want to even those
1: things out so how do you see that playing out in that?
0: Yeah you, know, you know, Rutherford as you said he kept he still insists that the goal is to keep both goalies for as long as possible, you know, through the draft. Um, now, whether that's just a little public, uh, you know, maneuvering on his part to to make it sound like they really won't take anything less than a you know blowout offer for uh, for Flurry, I don't know. And, and again, the the question with Flurry is he has that no movement clause, so will he waive it, or will the Penguins arrange some sort of dra- or, um, trade so that they? The Las Vegas team takes flurry that way or takes someone else. We we don't know. The Penguins are being very coy with what they want to do. But the the short term, in terms of how things do play out this season or over the next few weeks, it's increasingly looking like Matt Murray becomes, I guess you would argue, the number one starter. Um, just because in, in his first two games back, he's looked so sharp, and and the Penguins have played well in front of him. That helps. He hasn't had a game yet where they've just truly uh, left him out to drive. But he just. He's another one of those players that makes everything look easy and and simple and, and really doesn't um, get too flustered. Doesn't you know ever seem like he's way out of position. It's uh, it's just you know, Mike Sullivan talked last year about Matt Murray has kind of a calming effect on the team. I don't completely buy that. Uh, you know whether it's Matt Murray or anyone else. I, I don't think one player's demeanor unless it's maybe Sidney Crosby can have that much impact but uh, maybe maybe Matt Murray is on that echelon when it comes to uh, you know how he carries himself so I think Marc-Andre Fleury has to be at least a little bit better and and yeah maybe prove that he is in that same um, you know echelon because you know his his career aside and he's certainly been a valuable part of the the franchise for a decade more than a decade but in his past few performances, he's looking, looking a little shaky. And I, I think on the aging curve, um, you know, it's, it's not hard to imagine that that just is, is bound to happen sooner than later. Uh, so I, I think Matt Murray, if things, if you see a couple more starts of each of them playing the way they have recently, Matt Murray becomes your, your guy and Marc-Andre Fleury will play more than, you know, I, I would say a true backup, maybe a 60, 40 split, something like that. But I, I, when we came in the season, me and, and my fellow beat writer, Jonathan Bomboli, we debated uh, how we thought it would play out. And we thought it would start flurry 60, Murray 40. The Murray injury complicated matters a little bit. But um, once Murray came back, we still thought that might be the case. And I, I think maybe that switch where Murray becomes your, your priority uh, is going to happen much sooner than than we had guessed.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's pretty clear from just the organization's perspective, they they probably want Matt Murray to, to play well enough to seize that role, right? I mean, it just makes sense for, for where the franchise is headed and, and, and the commitment they've made to him financially. But I, I wonder what the market is for a guy like flurry because he is aging and he is making a a nice you know 5.75 on 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 the cap is definitely nothing to sneeze at and and there will be other options for a team like vegas whether it's like jimmy howard or or i don't know you know ben bishop type so there are going to be some very you know highly thought of goalies available with with high price tags and i wonder uh if they'll be able to really get anything for flurry at this point and whether uh, it's an asset that's kind of been depreciating and, and they've just been sitting on it
0: yeah i don't know and and so much of the the penguins perspective seems to be well we want to win now and we have a better chance of winning when we have two uh you know starter quality goalies on, on our you know roster rather than one starter and one you know career backup or even worse a, a prospect you know they had uh, mike conden there and i guess mike Condon would have been suitable but now that he's gone i, I don't know if they consider Tristan Jari the next man up Jari's, you know, a a less polished, uh, 22 year old. So, um, you know, he's, he's still probably in AHL form and really not ready to, to be anyone's backup at the, the NHL level. So, you know, in the penguins mind, I don't know, do they see the, the reward if they win another cup is worth, you know, basically giving flurry away for, for nothing or for, you know, a really marginal trade, uh, I, that's that's the calculus they have to you know settle with i think they'll they're trying and or will try to move Fleury at some point during the season because you know there probably will be a team that's in the cup hunt and feels they can um you know swap go goal, upgrade goalies give the penguins a you know, more marginal guy who's still a decent cap hit it's it's going to be uh just a, a fascinating storyline that really is going to pick up I, I think we were all waiting for it um, at the start of training camp and again Matt Murray's hand injury kind of delayed it but uh, you know now that they're both healthy they're both playing again and Matt Murray certainly doesn't look like what he did last year was some sort of fluke or aberration um, it uh it's going to escalate quickly on the uh, Murray versus flurry front and and Peng- penguin's fans are probably going to be uh very uncomfortable with it because they just they don't want to pick sides it it kind of i think breaks some people's hearts to uh to talk about flurry as a uh you know a figure in the past so to speak Mm. yeah i think it's a good problem to have though i mean
1: as you mentioned, it is a team that's trying to win and win now. And it's, it's, it's always good to have two reliable options because injuries do happen. But also with the condensed schedule and all the back to backs and stuff, you, you really don't want to be just kind of, uh, giving away games whenever, whenever your starter can't go. So I think it makes sense for them to at least sit on it now and see if, if Flurry can, you know, rattle off a good stretch here. Maybe they'll, it'll increase his stock and they'll be able to move him for something that'll actually help the team rather than just kind of giving away his contract um bill where uh where can people find you online and, and find some of those great mike sullivan quotes you tweet out
0: <laughs> they can uh they can find me on twitter at b west underscore trib that's b w e s t underscore uh, t-r-i-b and um if you just i guess google pittsburgh tribune review you'll be able to find the the site uh since the web address is somewhat illogical <laughs> i would argue but uh it's, tri- it's triblive.com if if people actually want to go straight to the site but excellent. uh yeah i i tweet most of my work so if you follow me on twitter it's great and that is certainly where you find my big chunky mike sullivan uh copy and paste quotes well excellent man i uh
1: i highly recommend it i i, I can't tell you how much i appreciate a beat writer that actually uh contributes something to kind of looking at the game from a different perspective, as opposed to just, you know, uh, live tweeting the game when things are happening, and then just kind of c- coming back at me with all these uh, cliches from coaches and players. So I appreciate all the work you do. And I'm sure that everyone else does as well.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I, I enjoy it. I don't know if, you know, I should be doing it differently. I'm still well behind the uh, the follower count on Twitter and stuff for, you know, I don't know if my heavy analysis style is uh you know just too much for the people that do want to know who scored the last goal but uh it's it's been fun so far and again it's kind of how how i feel the job should be done so well,
1: we'll see if uh we'll see if we can give you the the pdo cast bump online although i don't i don't even know if that's really a thing
0: i'll i'll buy it the pdo bump seems very real and appropriate for a variety of reasons so i'll take
1: it <laughs> all right man uh we'll make sure to get you back on as the season goes along thanks i appreciate the time thanks dimitri the Hockey Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.